Christina, we heard you say you have to go and serve our children. Thank you for serving us today, too. Um, on this Veterans Day weekend, I just have to add my voice to uh, be grateful for all of you who have been veterans, uh, are veterans, um, my uh, entire family. They're military people. And I think my mom and dad from above, if I didn't say thank you for serving, they'd be yelling at me so that I could, could hear them. So to all of you, so much of what we're doing right now, being able to worship freely and live out our faith, is due to uh, the kind of service you gave. And I just, I'm so grateful. I am just so grateful. Well, what you uh, gave your life for, or not life for, you're still here, I'm hoping, but uh, what you served for in our country, you, you sort of see what's happened, that we're, we're nonetheless divided, aren't we? Did you see that this last week with the election? Do, do you know we have political divisions in our country? Has anyone, has anyone noticed that? And according to all the research done, that division breaks along those usual lines of division in our world, race, gender, amount of education, income level. Well, we've seen it. I've never seen anything like it in my life, but all the protesters, after an election, all the protesters in our cities where some are, are rejoicing and others are so upset, it just shows you this. If you've missed that, let me just show you a couple of the pieces of research that have been done from the Washington Post. More than four in 10 Democrats and Republicans say that the other party's policies are so misguided that they pose a threat to our nation. I'll tell you, that's the vision. Or from the Pew Research Center. More than half of all Democrats, 55%, say the Republican Party makes them afraid, while 49% of Republicans say the same thing about the Democratic Party. So here we are in the midst of all of this division in our nation, and we gather here to worship our Lord Jesus Christ in unity. Now, I want you to know, I, as your senior pastor, I am fully aware that all of this political division in our nation is fully represented here in the life of the people of Lake Avenue Church. If you look at it, so many people look at churches in America and they'll say that some are red and some are blue. You know that Lake Avenue Church is purple. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you're applauding. I, I've got to call that out because uh, the easiest thing for us to do would be just to gloss that over. The fact that we come to church and there are some who are rejoicing and want to have a hallelujah service and others who are hurting and in deep pain and want to have a lament service or perhaps even a repentance service. At the same time with all of that, I think the thing that we feel, and I, I think most of you feel this with me, we know that our Lord Jesus commanded us across all those divisions that once we have come to know him, that we are to love one another. We know this. And we know that even to another church so many years ago in Ephesus, where they too, as a whole society, were deeply divided. And the church wanted to be divided too. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 gave them commands. And here they are. Just look at them. Because I think they speak to us too. You, you bear with one another in love. How hard is it to bear with this bunch? Okay? You keep the unity of the Spirit See, the Spirit's been given to us all. Brothers and sisters, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. You keep the unity that the Spirit has established through the bond of peace. Amen. 
All right, so I was not uh, scheduled to preach this week. Did you know that? However, after the election and seeing what's happening in our country, so many of our spiritual leaders, I see even our chair, Jim Howe, is here, <laughs> asked me to, to preach, and I knew that that's a part of my calling as your senior pastor. And yet I have to tell you, in, in accepting that calling, I don't have all wisdom. So I, I go into this. I want you to know that. And I have struggled and agonized in prayer all week about what God would have us as a church family to hear today. Uh, I am quite sure that at the end of my message, some of you will be disappointed in your pastor and say, that's all he's got? Well, didn't he go to school a long time? I don't have wis all wisdom. But here, here's what I hold on to. There's only one person that I know I have to please today, and that is the Lord Jesus. And I know that whatever we do, what you and I have to do coming to church in the midst of a divided world is that we've got to come together and hear our one Father's word. So I'm going to do what I always do. I'm just going to open this word and see what our Father has to say to us, and then I'll, I'll seek to apply it as best I can to where we are right now in our, in our country. And I just decided that I would stay with the text that months and months ago I'd set apart for this week and just see what God would have to say. And I think there's a lot here that he has to say. It's Psalm 25. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there because this is an unusual psalm for us in our world. Let me just tell you how, as you're looking for it, how it's put together before we listen to a few things from it. This thing is constructed as an acrostic. Do you know what that is? It takes all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, takes them one by one, and each line successively takes, it starts with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. Think about writing a song like that. The first line begins with A, and then to B, and then to C. What would you do when you get to Q and V and, and X? I, I'm just pointing out how hard this is to do, and it's hard in the Hebrew, too. There are some letters for which very few words start with those, those letters. And so when you look at, at, a, at a song like this, and there aren't that many, but when you look at a song like that, an acrostic, it's just different from others. It doesn't have the logical flow of many of the songs that we've looked at all fall. Instead, what it does is it takes one theme, and then each line sort of has one expression that helps you to understand that theme. When you read the whole thing, you'll see that there's one main point that it's driving home. It's kind of like a collage in that sense. And so that's what David does here one particular day. He writes a song like that. And once he's finished with the alphabet, he adds on this prayer, God, redeem your nation, redeem Israel from all their troubles. So I've asked myself as I've been reading this, what's the central theme of this thing? Why did David write it? And I put it up here for you. A child of God, a man of God, the King David, and his nation are in deep distress. And so they beg God to show them what he wants them to do about it. Do you think that might have anything to say to us? Anybody? Well, more than at 9 o'clock. They weren't quite awake by this time at 9 o'clock. So here, here's what I decided to look at from this, from this song. He, it's a part, of, part of it is all about the trouble that he, that he was in and, and, he, and they were in. And then he has a prayer. So let's look at that. The trouble. It's really expressed in verse 17. God, relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. 
So when I look at that and then I look at the very last verse in the psalm, I know this, that both David personally and his nation corporately were going through a time of deep trouble. They were divided. What kinds of trouble? Well, I read through the psalm and I see several things. Some people had fear. And for David, he felt like his position as a king and maybe even his life were in danger. Uh, so you see verses 19 and 20, he, he prays, Lord, see how numerous my enemies are? You see how bad they are and how fiercely they hate me? So guard my life, God, rescue me. I gotta tell you this, a lot of Bible scholars think David was overreacting, <laughs> that he wasn't really in danger, that much danger, not of his whole life, and it may be. But does it really matter? Because when we feel that kind of fear, when we feel like we are in danger, why should somebody act like, why, don't be so childish? Why, why do you think you're so much in danger? Uh, the, the whole point is when, when a friend is hurting and, and feeling fear, friends empathize with them. Amen. And already I tell you there's something for us in that, don't you think? <laughs> so there's fear. The, second, there's loneliness. So people may have been around him, but he wasn't sure that he could trust those people around him. See how he puts it in verses 16 and 17. God, I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. Now, he was the king, and there were people who were there. But he said, God, you have to be the one who relieves the troubles of my heart. And I tell you, once again, I can resonate with this. When I, when I feel I'm in trouble and when a lot of people are uh, differing in their different views and thoughts, sometimes you still feel like, even though there are people around you, you feel alienated, that you don't really belong. Do you know what I'm getting at when I say that? And I'm telling you, a lot of people in our country are feeling like that right now as well. I guess if you've ever felt like that or do even right now, know that David did. Know that the Apostle Paul did near the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, know that Jesus did in his time of greatest trouble. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tried to get his disciples to pray with him, and they kept going to sleep. So here he was. He was afraid. He felt isolated and alone how other people looked at him, and he was confused. In fact, confusion permeates this psalm. Just read it from beginning to the end, and you'll find out in this series that I call Heart Cries, David's heart cry is essential. God, I don't know what you want me to do right now. He prays that God will step in and direct his thinking and, and his actions. And so that, that brings me to what he really did in the midst of all of this um, fear and loneliness and confusion. He prayed. Verses 4 and 5 is the main prayer. You might want to just mark those off. We'll keep coming back to that. Show me. Teach me. Guide me. Now, I am guessing that before you even came to church, you knew I would be calling us to prayer. Any, anybody think that? I know some of you were because some of you anticipating that I would do that have contacted me this week and said, Pastor Greg, please don't just call us to prayer again. <laughs> Sometimes prayer has to move us into action. It's time for action. Some of you may resonate with that. I, I want those of you who wrote to me that way to know I've heard what you said and what you have written matters to me. 
Nevertheless, I'm going to call us to pray, but I want us to pray the way that David prayed. I know that when trouble comes, and we've done this here as a church all through this year with all the challenges our nation has faced, so many times we pray for people who are in trouble, something just like this, Lord, give my hurting brothers and sisters peace, and then we go home. Or Lord, be near to those who are hurting and frustrated as much as David was that day. Be near to them and bless them. Now, I'm going to just tell you this. I'm going to continue to pray those kinds of things for you. <laughs> but what I want to call us to today are some other aspects of prayer. Because when you look at David's prayer in Psalm 25, it is a prayer that God would direct him in his actions, guide him and his nation in what they do. He says, Lord, I know the time has come. For me and for us to do something. But Lord, we don't want to do something that's dumb. We want to do something that glorifies your name and not something that demeans your name. We don't want to do something guided by what the world is doing. We want to do something guided by you. So do you see what he prays for? Let me just show it to you again. First, show me your ways, Lord. Do you see what he's saying? Lord, I know that these are not the days to sit back and do nothing. But Lord, I need you to show me what to do because I don't know what to do. And I am yours and I want to glorify your name. He's praying for that. Do you ever pray for that? And the second phrase is like to it. And Lord, teach me your paths. And, and for us now that we have the word, I, I really think the application is, Lord, I'm going to open up this word and I've got to see here how you teach us that we're supposed to act in difficult times like this. What are the steps you would have us teach us from your word, Father, what we should do? I'm praying that this morning he might do that for us. And then the last one, and guide me in your ways. You see, it's a call to action, is it? I'm going to go out from this place, Lord, and I'm going to represent you, but I need you to guide me, Lord. It's the most action-oriented part of this prayer. And as a New Testament follower of Jesus... I feel like the way that I want to pray this is, Lord, I know you came in to, to my world and were willing to enter into my life to rescue me from my sin, to save me. Now, as, as the Bible says, as the Father sent Jesus, we are sent, right? So I'm going to be sent to go out into this world, but for me to go into this divided world in your name, I need to know that you go with me and I need to be guided by you. I want us to pray that way. Which brings me to the part that I really want us to hear today about for us in our world. I've called it the promise. And then I want to talk to you about at least the first step that I think the Lord would have us to take as his followers in days like these. Now, the promise is, is, is down in verse 12, so you might want to look down there. I want you to know that I have made verses 3 and 4 my prayer for this sermon and for us as a church. Lord, Show me, show us your ways. Lord, teach us what your path is. And then, Lord, you've got to guide us in what your journey is for us as a church. Now, after I read that, I went on down to verse 12. And in verse 12, I saw this. Who then are those who fear the Lord? I read that, and I'll just do what my heart said. Lord, I'm one. I'm one. I will not fear anything else. I'm going to fear you. So I'll just say, who then are those here today who fear the Lord? Okay, a few. Okay. Look at the promise then. 
He, God, will instruct them in the ways they should go. I just want you to know, brothers and sisters, I've been holding on to that promise. And, I, and even in this sermon, I'm holding on to that. What happened in this last election, I'll just tell you, is not outside of our God's ability to use to further his glory, to further his kingdom in this world. He works all things together. But in these days, we have to truly fix our eyes on him and not have our ways guided by any human movement, by any human leader, or even by our own anger. We have to have our thinking and our actions shaped by God and as he's made himself known in the person of Jesus. I think the thing that most people, and I've gotten lots, can you believe it? I've gotten lots of emails and Facebook messages and texts and notes this week. I think the, things that pe the thing that, most, that people have written me most often is this. Pastor, this week in your sermon, don't take some middle ground in this sermon and just try to please everyone. I can't tell you how hard the temptation is to do that. I will not do that today. But I want you to remember that when you think about being in the middle, simply because you're not on the right as the world perceives it or on the uh, left as the world perceives it does not mean that you're just in the middle as a compromiser. Jesus came into this world and he never fully aligned himself with the right in his world, which would have been mostly the Pharisees, or the left, which would have been mostly the Zealots. I think he saw that there was some wisdom in both sides of that, but he knew full well that when you have movements or parties, as we call them, that they'll, they'll both have some wisdom in them because there's general revelation. I won't go into the theology of this, but that both will be marred by sin. So if we are looking for what is just and right, we're not going to look either to the right and the left as the world. Mostly, you have to look up, right? You see what I'm getting at? You have to look, because there's only one in this world who is perfectly just and is perfectly right, and the only one who can guide his people, Amen. and that is God himself. So I, I decided God makes himself known through, through the person of Jesus. In looking at the person of Jesus, wh what do I see? I, I just see Jesus in times like this going out and entering into people's lives, uh, being ready to welcome them and to give them a new life. And, and those who usually responded to it, that he would say those who have ears to hear, were almost always those who are humble. Not almost, always those who are humble. And almost always those who are marginalized. I'm thankful that there were some who were perhaps not among the marginalized that, that he blessed. I'm so grateful when I read the Bible that there was Jairus, you know, the synagogue leader. <laughs> Gives me hope as a pastor that he, you know, there's hope for me too. Uh, but mostly it's those who stood on the outside and he brought them into the inside. So as I prayed, I said, Father, what is the way of Jesus in all of this, the particular way and path of Jesus that I, I feel like that we need to begin with. I said the first step. As we represent Christ in this world as a local church is, is captured by a word that I call empathy. Do you know what empathy is? Empathy is this ability to step into the shoes of another person, actually to understand the other person to share the feelings of the other person. 
when you're empathetic, you actually enter into the life and, and, and you feel the pain as well as the joys of the other person, you always will listen and receive with respect and love and where you have resources and wisdom to guide into a better way because, because well, let me ask you, do you think empathy was one of the central qualities of the life of Jesus? Um, when, when Jesus walked into his synagogue early in his ministry, he declared his personal mission statement. And Luke 4 is where you find it, verses 14 to 20. And he, he told his people, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. For what, for what reason? To proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, often those on the outside. To proclaim freedom for prisoners. He's called me to bring, bring recovery of sight even for the blind. He came to set the oppressed free. And that's all of us, you know, in, in one way or another. But when I look at what his life looked like, and I'd, I'd encourage you to do this. I, I do it all the time because even though I've done it for maybe 50 years of my life, I like to read through the Gospels and just stop it the way that Jesus encountered different people. If you've never done that, start with the Gospel of Luke. And you'll see what it looked like, his life of empathy. Jesus entered into the life of a powerful military leader, but also of a leper who had nothing. He, he entered into the life of that synagogue leader, Jairus, that I told you about, but who was hurting because he, he had a sick daughter. But he also entered into the life of a prostitute who was in distress and didn't want to stay in that way of life and needed someone to rescue. He entered into the life of a wealthy tax collector, but he also entered into the life of a demon-possessed man who was chained out there in a cave. Have you ever read how the writer of Hebrews characterized the life of Jesus? Christina read it for us. Let me show it to you again. Just, just marvel at this. We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. What do we have? We have one who is willing to enter in, to be tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So I thought, okay, if that's what I think God is calling us to, in a divided world, we'll start here within the life of our church body and have to enter into one another's lives so that we can go out into the world and do the same as Jesus did. What does that look like? And Romans 12, verses 14 to 17, and the book of Romans was also divided, uh, written to a divided society too where the church had to be one in the midst of the division in the world. I mean, so much of the New Testament is written about a situation that we are in. And this is what Paul wrote, and this was for the body, and this, I'll pass it to you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. He says it twice. Um, I'm going to stop for a minute there. The thing that will keep us from being one body in the midst of a divided world, the thing that will most effectively break us up will be conceit and pride. Where when we're on this side of the viewpoint, we look at that other and just sort of say, 
I know more than you do. Unless you let me teach you, instead to say, this is my perspective, This this is where God has led me, help me to understand and listen to your brother or sister. And I'll tell you, when you do, you start, when we can give up the pride and engage one another as those who have been rescued by God's grace, and that's all we are. Then, then, then all of the divisions in our world can come together in the church. So that's why he says it twice, I think. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Now, I want us to home in on that command, that twofold command. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Here I go into the tricky part. See if you let me still be your pastor as I go through this. I am finding out how hard it is to obey that twofold command these days. I mean, every command in the Bible is countercultural, but all of, all of them we need the power of the Spirit to do it. I'd never thought about it so much with this one how hard it is to rejoice with those who rejoice when you're mourning, how hard it is to mourn with those who mourn when you're rejoicing. I tell you, when, when you rejoice, you want to celebrate and you hope that your whole church family will celebrate with you. Then you, when you come to church and, and people are mourning at the very thing that you are rejoicing over, you sort of can look at them and say, why are you making such a big deal of this? Kind of like people said about David. Why are you afraid? What makes you think that? What, what, we sort of put people down. Am, am I right about that? I've seen it. But when you're mourning and you come to your church family and some people are rejoicing over the very thing that is making you mourn, you look and say, what a bunch of callous people. They got stuck in their old ways. Am I right about that? I've got to call this out. When you and I say that we are followers of Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, you and I make a commitment to pray what David prayed. Lord, my ways are so often misguided. Lord, you show me your ways. My life is yours. It takes humility to do that. You've got to teach me your path today, Lord. You've got to guide me in your ways. And, and, and we pray that prayer with this humble readiness to obey whatever God teaches us. And one of the things that God teaches us, commands us to do, is to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to mourn with those who are mourning. Again, is anyone here who fears the Lord? This is what he commands us to do. So, I'm your pastor, and I find this really hard to do. Um, so I've got to just tell you how, how I've experienced this. Uh, some of you have written me to tell me why I should be rejoicing. But I've got to tell you a little bit of my, my journey this last year in the presidential campaign. Some of you are a lot younger than I am, so you don't know that many people like me have for years and years and years had uh, trust issues with Ms. Clinton and that we've had a lot of different issues, at least I have, both socially and morally, uh, that I've just disagreed with. And I couldn't just get past that. On the other side, I, I, I joined you in listening to the rhetoric of Mr. Trump that 
At best, some people call it inflammatory, but I'm just telling you, as a Christian, I found so much of it foul and demeaning of people made in God's image, including many in our church, of, of the disabled, of those who are immigrants or look like immigrants, of women. Th those of you who were here last week, do you remember I talked to you about being conflicted as a heart cry? I think sometimes you think, well, the pastor just says that because that's the topic. I was conflicted. So I'll just tell you what I did. When I went into the booth to vote this last week, uh, I took out my pen, and for the president, I wrote in a candidate. Uh, I didn't write in Jeremy Rose. I, I didn't write that in. I <laughs> had to get a little lightning of my heart right there. And, and I knew that the candidate I wrote in would not win. And he did not win, in case you didn't notice that. <laughs> so here, I come to church, and I read this command of the Bible. Pastor, I've made you pastor of this church. I command you to rejoice with those who are rejoicing in your church. And some of you are helping me to know why I should rejoice, and I'm really grateful for it. I'll just pass on for some of you who are finding it hard to rejoice. Some of the things I've been told, uh, some have told me that now, because of this election, it's possible that the sanctity of many people's lives who have been disregarded might be more protected, especially the children in the womb. And, and I'm just telling you, if that happens, I rejoice. I will rejoice with you. I'm praying for that. Some have said that, that some of the, what, we, what veterans fought for, the religious liberties that we have to worship openly and actually to practice our faith without interference from the government would seem to have been given a lower priority to other priorities like to tolerance or inclusion that maybe uh, the religious liberties that we value so much might have a higher priority because of the election. If that happens, I rejoice. I don't know that it will happen. I, I'd be thankful. And, and unequivocally, I rejoice at something else. I'm going to show you a couple of Bible verses to tell you why, no matter what would have happened, unequivocally, we should all be rejoicing. And this is what Paul wrote. There is no authority except that which God has established. Now, when he said that, when he said that, I can just imagine his church people saying, what are you, you must have miswritten that, Paul, because you know who's in authority? Nero, the most anti-Christian person imaginable. Paul, you couldn't have meant that. And that's why I think he says it in a, no, I mean it. <laughs> the same thing in a different way. No, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Like, do you believe it? So no matter what would have happened, there's a sense in which we should rejoice because God knows what he's doing. And that if it makes times harder for us as worshipers, that gives us a, some other kind of an opportunity that God knows about that we can't see right now. Amen. That maybe even the, the vast divisions that we are happening in our world really give us the opportunity to make a renewed commitment across the divisions in the body of Christ so that this divided world can see there is a different way to live but it only comes through Christ. It may well be that what has happened will give us an opportunity that, like we have never had in our 120 years of history Amen. to show what Jesus said, that people who in this world would never love one another and the only options they have are to protest against one another actually can come together and learn to love one another and serve him in unity and, and, and say, God must be in that place. If that happens, I rejoice.
So I'm telling you, for those who rejoice, you just got to know your senior pastor is seeking to rejoice with you. That I exhort you, mourn with your brothers and sisters who are mourning. I've heard God commanding me to do that as well. And so I, I've just taken time this week to stop and speak mostly to the people who have come here to church, some of my colleagues at work in different places, some who have come from Mexico or El Salvador or Honduras or, or Guatemala. And I've just stopped and I said, tell me what you're feeling. And some have had taken a while to trust me enough to tell me. And they've told me why they're mourning. And I have wept. I just seem to weep all the time these days. I, so what I heard, and I, I hope that you will listen and hear as well, is so many people who are fearing for people they really care about. That's what I'm weeping too. P people who are their parents at times or loved ones or friends that they're going to be deported. For, or for many, we have many who have come out of Muslim backgrounds, have come to faith in Jesus, but have families who are Muslims and are, are really afraid these days. I just want to say I've heard your mourning and I mourn with you. I, I've heard people who say that turning to me and, and because of how I look with my skin color, you're, you're afraid because, because of your skin color, your appearance or your heritage that people like me will look at you and think using the rhetoric of the political campaign that maybe you're one of the terrorists or rapists or murderers. I've heard those stories from my brothers and sisters and I weep and that weeping leads me to pray and my prayer is this, Lord, show me what your way for me is. Teach me what your path is. Guide me so that I can walk with my brothers and sisters in a practical way and show the love, and then together we can go out into our broken world and really do what Jesus did, engage with the lives of people who themselves are broken and needs to know that God loves them and that the church is a place where they can find welcome and a forgiveness and a new life. A couple of sisters in Christ urged me with this wonderful blend of passion and wisdom. I put it up here for you. Pastor Greg, we know you love us, but don't try to fix things too fast. Don't just preach a sermon and then forget. Let us sit with this pain for a season. In fact, come and sit with us for a while. God will show us what to do. Let's do it together. So my brothers and sisters who mourn, I mourn with you, but I exhort you too. Do not write off your brothers and sisters who are rejoicing too quickly. Instead, make a recommitment that across these world's divisions, we will show the unity of Christ. Uh, Jesus said that when that happens, people will really know that we're Christians and not just play in the game. He prayed that this would actually be lived out in us and through us. And I believe now we have a chance. We have a chance to show this world what the miracle of people who are on all sides of the divisions in this world can be made into one family. And let us never forget what it took to bring people like you and me into his family. It took the blood of Jesus.
so that I could be in his family. What about you? And what has been purchased by the blood of Christ? Let us let nothing in this world divide. So, I'm asking us all to make a recommitment, first in church, to re-entering into one another's lives and asking something like this. Will you help me to understand why you're rejoicing? I just don't get it. And then listen. With respect and a desire truly to understand, without writing that person off immediately as being a racist, listen. See if there's anything your brother or sister might say that you need to hear. But then, the other must ask, but will you help me to understand why you're mourning? I don't get it. And then listen. With respect and a desire truly to understand, uh, but be ready to weep. Be ready to weep. I, I don't know. I think if we do this, that if we can engage in those kinds of times as brothers and sisters, we might just take a step closer to one another. Do you think? Yes. And that this purple church can actually be one? Because I think as we take a step closer, then together we can pray. I'll put it up here, adapted David's prayer a little bit. God, guide us. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior. Our hope, not in any political thing in this world, right? Our hope is in you all day long. And as we come and pray to him, then you and I, I think, might come to where David did at the very end, end and stop. And we will stop and pray with one voice. Then use us, Lord, to deliver our nation from all its trouble. My brothers and sisters, that's all I have. I, I wish I had more wisdom than that. I know there is more wisdom to be gained. I know that. And I also believe that um, in his time, God will give us more wisdom. I, I believe that this is the place that God would make sure that we start that we don't just come and say we're both red and blue and then we ignore the fact, and, and, but instead we'll actually come together so that together we can go out into this world and show the glory of God and the love of Jesus and actually pray, Lord, show us. Show us your way. Guide us so that people may see us and in seeing us see you and be turned to you. To his glory. Amen. Let me, let me leave this in prayer. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for each one who came. I pray that what I've said has, has not been middle of the road just trying to please, but it's been pleasing you. And Father, I pray your spirit may empower it to draw us closer to you and closer together so that, Father, we can go out into the hurting and damaged world 
and say, God is God, he's real, he loves you. And you can find a family in Christ. Help us to be that kind of family. I long for it. I pray for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.